0: wonderful it would be if because of what we're doing here tonight that uh, there are conversations that we have that lead to somebody new, someone you couldn't imagine being in this hall singing that song alongside you, singing that from their hearts, of uh, their eyes being opened and just uh, adoring and worshiping the Lord uh, together. Uh, I want us to begin tonight thinking of you guys could put up this first picture um, of the sat nav here, uh, most everybody in the room probably is carrying around a satnav on their phone. Could you guys put that picture up of the sat nav screen? There you go. Excellent. And um, I can't tell you how much I have learned to appreciate sat nav. I don't know how I lived without it, uh, particularly before coming to live in this country. You take it for granted if you live here that you know where to go, and you know where things are, and you know all different kinds of things. Sim- probably similar if you were to go. Uh, to the United States. Uh, there have been times it's let me down, particularly in like Cornwall or Devon where I have found myself on a track that was really not meant for any vehicle whatsoever. Um, but in general, it has helped me so much. My first time in the UK was many years ago and back in the day of not sat but biological navigators, me or my wife and a map and trying to figure out where we were and it was a stressful but What's so great about this is you can say, this is where I want to go. And not only this is where I want to go, but this is what I want to do along the way. You can search for food or fuel or, or whatever the case may be. You add in those, those waypoints, right? Those, those waypoints um, along the way. And I feel like this is just such a, a helpful thing for us because if we think about this, our destination determines the directions we get, right? Going on holiday, or you just want to go to the shops, someplace new, whatever, where you want to go determines the directions and the waypoints you get along the way. Through these conversations, we've been talking about that goal, that destination, if you will, of just giving a clear and complete communication of gospel truth in our conversations with people. A clear and complete, not necessarily all in one go, but with what God puts in front of us in conversations with people to make sure in that moment we are giving statements that are clear and complete and appropriate for the moment. If that is our destination, this is what we say we're here to do, to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. There's, There's points to that. to, to get us to that point where we have shared particular things, a roadmap, if you will, of how to get to that clear communication of gospel truth. Now, I'm saying a roadmap because the last thing I'm going to do in any of this is to present to you, here's how you do it. Here's the canned presentation or here's just the set of facts that you need to get. Rather, trying to give you a framework for conversations because the gospel... There is content to it. It is something to believe, if you're following along on your sheet. There is content. There is understanding. There is shared context. I was just having a conversation with somebody this week in the well who's been coming along for years, and God has just started to open their eyes, and there's this this understanding this person said they've been getting, this shared uh, something to believe. But then we know that that something to believe points us to someone to receive. That it's about a relationship with King Jesus. Not just acceptance and adherence to certain facts about him, but of a repentance of turning one's life to him in conversion and trusting him completely for the forgiveness of sins and with the entire direction of our lives. And so trying to keep it simple, just five things. I'm not sharing all five tonight. So this is, if you notice on your notes, part one, and we'll come to part two in in future weeks, but part one, and just some basic questions. That is, we're having conversations with people, or even if you are listening to a speaker give uh, an evangelistic talk or whatever, what are some key questions, if you might say, in the journey to clear understanding and potential belief? Some basic ones, and we'll cover three tonight. Who is God? Really important. <laughs> who is God? Question two, how are we meant to live? So who's God? How are, we, how are we meant to live? Three, what have we become? Four, who is Jesus? Five, how will you respond? I have found these five things really helpful in conversations over coffee, or wherever I'm going, not that you have to get through all of them in one go, but if I'm listening to somebody, which again is a really important thing to do, if we're listening to people and seeing where things are at to make sure, is there a clear understanding of God? Is there a sense of how we are really meant to live about what we have really become? We'll get into about who Jesus is and about how we respond. So we're going to cover these first three points tonight in some, in some detail, not exhaustively. And again, I'm not going to be able, and I'm, I've said at the beginning of this, I am not the expert. I'm a fellow traveler in the journey, learning as I go, but these things have helped me. Hopefully they help you. Um, but we won't necessarily get to, you know every possible scenario you could encounter, more just what are some general things, and then we can find some other resources and stuff if you have specific questions, see me afterwards. Um, Sam's already prayed for us, but I just want us to pray again and uh, ask the Lord to help us through this uh, discussion that we would not only have our minds opened, but um, be sharpened a little bit in our thinking. So Father, we pray now that as we come to these key points that are so vital and essential in communicating gospel truth. Uh, Lord, I don't want anything to be simplistic, like a canned presentation, but also, Lord, not complicated. These are not complicated questions that we're using to just kind of help our thinking and guide our conversations and really be a, a faithful witness to help people and to bring glory to you, to make it our goal, that destination, if you will, of clear and complete communication of gospel truth. So just help us now, Father, we pray, not just something that we do on a Sunday night, um, but something that finds its way into our conversations at work, at school, um, in, the, in the streets, wherever we, we encounter people that we know, um, to help our conversations be um, seasons with salt, as it were, uh, to point people to the gospel and point people to you. So use this time tonight, we pray, towards those ends, and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So that key starting point, who is God? And really people's starting points as we have conversations with them about Jesus and the gospel really do matter because we, we all come from different perspectives and different points. Um, and it's important that we listen and try to understand that. And we could learn quite a bit um, if we were to observe even the way well, Jesus will come to in, in a little bit. We've been seeing that in John's gospel. Um, but also, uh, Paul in the book of Acts dealt differently, spoke differently in different situations. You have Paul in the synagogue. I think we have a, a picture of the synagogue there, guys. If you could go to that, it's a, a Torah scroll. And in Acts uh, chapter 13, if you want to open your Bibles there, if you have and I'm not going to read this entire reference, but I just want you to be aware of it. Acts chapter 13 Uh, roughly verses 13 to 42, and I think I have the first few verses of Acts chapter 13 on the screen here. Yeah, 14 to 16. And here's Paul in the synagogue in uh, Perga, and it says he, uh, on the Sabbath, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue. So sorry, it's Pisidian Antioch, and they sat down. And it says, after reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. And standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So he knows his audience. He's entered into a situation where In this particular setting, people share his worldview. The things he's going to say, they're going to get. When he talks about God, they're going to have a particular point of reference for that. If he brings up sin, they're going to have a point of reference for that. And if you were to read through the rest of this chapter, which I won't do, he, he speaks towards people who know this book, the Old Testament. He starts talking through the history. He talks about their fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He talks about the exodus out of Egypt. He talks about the conquest of the promised land. He talks about when they're in the promised land. He talks about judges. He talks about the coming of the kings. He talks about specific kings, David, and how through all of that redemptive history of the Old Testament, he leads them in verse We'll say verse 32 first. He says, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Verse 38, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So he engaged his audience Accordingly, appropriately, from their point of reference, from their point of view. And he took them through all those things. And where did he ultimately land? Jesus. Right? He got them to Jesus. Now, I just want to pause because it's probably less the case on this side of the Atlantic than where I'm from. And maybe less so, even more, if we think generationally compared to younger people who are in the room but I just want to throw up the flag of warning that we don't assume anything in this regard when we're having conversations with people that are meant to be directing them towards a clear and uh, complete communication of gospel truth. Because we don't know exactly where anyone exactly is coming from. And while we used to live in a world, particularly on the other side of the Atlantic, but also here in, in the UK where there was a shared understanding of particular truths that we just kind of took for granted about who God is and some other things that we're going to talk about, that's just not the case anymore. And so there's a little more groundwork, if you will, that may have to go in. When he stood up before them and said, fellow Israelites and Gentiles who fear and follow God, they were with him. Where we live in our particular cultural experience now is people may not be with us if we were to begin a conversation this way. And if our goal is to get them to a clear and complete communication of gospel truth, we need to be careful because also, even if there is a perceived shared background of religion or church, or any one of those things, we know that people... We can pack our own meaning into particular words. Into an understanding of who God is. When we talk about God, what will many people say? Well, I believe in a God who is what? Like we talked about last week. A God who is love. Right? To the exclusion of other aspects about him. And our job is, again, not to assume anything, but to begin where people are. People's starting points matter if we want to get them to a clear communication. And so the same Apostle Paul, if we go through the book of Acts, has a different type of conversation with a completely different group of people. On your sheet, you should have had Paul in the synagogue versus Paul in the marketplace. I'll just use the word marketplace for what happened in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Athens. And he's walking around Athens and he sees... um, The different objects of of worship there. And there's one in particular. It's an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And he says, what is unknown to you, I'll proclaim. And listen to what he says. If you could go back one more slide. I think we have the beginning of these verses. Yes. No, one more. There we go. This is how he starts proclaiming to them what they need to know. They don't share the same worldview. He's talking to paganistic, polytheistic situation, all right? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Just hold it right there. Just leave that slide up right there. Let's identify a few things that Paul, to this group of people who don't share his worldview, who are polytheistic, like I said, and and pagan, what does he point out that is a number one important that we need to communicate about who God is? He's the creator. The Bible starts with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the, the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives life to everyone and breath and everything else. God is the independent creator, the sustainer of life. If we go to the next slide and see verse 26, what else does he communicate? From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. We'll come back to this, but he, he points out that God is the director and guider of human history. So in just a few short sentences, he has communicated to them some immensely important and powerful things about God. That he is other than us. He's not like us. He's not dependent upon us. We are dependent upon him. The big Bible theological foundations training word for that, that we've used in the past, is transcendent. God is completely transcendent. That's what he was trying to get across to them. But not only is he transcendent in that he's a creator, sustainer, director of history, sovereign, the big words we would use in church, he is also personal and relational. He wants to be found. He's imminent, not just transcendent. He's right there. He says, God did this. He's ordered the world in his goodness so that people would seek after him, perhaps reach out and find him. In him we live and move and have our being. We are his, his offspring. So he paints a big picture of who God is and yet he's a knowable God. Takes a completely different journey Go to the next slide. To the same destination. He says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Wait a minute. You remember him talking about repentance anywhere else? And faith? And forgiveness? To the people in the synagogue. Right? He has said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's that? Jesus. <laughs> See, he he had a different starting point and different way of conversing but he communicated the same thing. Who is God? It's vitally important that we communicate this because for the people in the synagogue, they all had a shared biblical worldview along with Paul of who God is. And that is this. If you could put up the next slide. God is the supreme king over all. He's the creator. He's the owner. He's the ruler. And when he said the word God, they got all that. He didn't have to explain it. But to another audience, he had to communicate, this is the God I'm talking about. And if we don't start there, this is why it's so important that we communicate that God is the supreme king over all, which means he's the Lord, he's the owner, he is the ruler. It means we are all accountable to him. Which is why he called both groups to do what? Repent. Repent which is bleeding into some future points we're going to get to. But that is a key point. Who is God? God is supreme. In fact, if he is not, not much else of the gospel makes sense. Because next we're going to talk about how we're meant to live. And if God is not supreme, what right does he have to tell any of us how to live? In fact, most people, modern people, would almost take that posture. Because the cultural posture in our society is, I rule my life. I become who I want to become. Nobody tells me what to do. So how are we meant to live if God is who he says he is? Who are we? Well, we are, as human beings, this is an important question to answer, isn't it? Because how you answer this sorts out so much. We are created... In God's image, to live with Him at the center, enjoying freedom. How many times, when we've shared the good news, have we used the word enjoyment, freedom, life? Perhaps, in your navigation of this issue over time, if you've walked with Jesus for any length, when you've shared the gospel, perhaps it's veered to one side or the other, like we talked about last week either really austere and God is that supreme king and judge and we're messed up and we're in a whole bunch of trouble. Kind of like dad's gotten home from work and he's angry and look out, here comes God. Or the flip of that, of a perspective of God that's not really who he is either and we just brush it under the rug. But who are we? We're made in his image. We were meant to live with him at the center as he pointed out in Athens. In him, we live and move and, and have our being. We were meant to enjoy freedom and blessing in relationship to him. It's like the hub of a wheel. Put this up here. When I was a student in Chicago, I had to go and serve in a ministry on the west, on the west side of Chicago in, in an okay-ish neighborhood. And I borrowed a friend's car. And as I drove out there, I had, you know, the noise as I'm going out there, and something wasn't quite right. I thought, oh, let's get to my ministry and we'll see what happens. And on the way back, and I kid you not, I decided to get off the highway, the motorway. And as I'm getting off, the front driver's side wheel falls off completely. It falls off because something was not aligned the way it should have been. That's why we're at the bum, 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 right? A wheel is meant to spin freely. If you have a bicycle, you know, the big test is you spin it. And how long will it just keep going and going and going and going? Because that will let you, you know, that will let you cruise. There's no resistance. There's, when, a, when a hub, when a wheel gets off its hub, all sorts of wobbles and, and, and big problems start to happen. And if that alignment is right, then everything spins as it's supposed to. True freedom is found with living with God at the center of life. And where do we find God's standard? So if we think of a standard of living, we talk about that in the Western world sometimes. You know, we we live with a standard of living that's probably the highest in in human history. But God has a standard of living as well. And we've talked about this in our previous series in the mornings in in, uh, the Ten Commandments. When we've talked about not really a, simply a list of rules, but what does it mean to fully be human? What does it mean to live life in enjoyment, in, in connection, in relationship with him? We find that in his law, in his word. James chapter 1 verse 25, You put that up. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. and continues, in not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We were created in God's image with, to live with him at the center, enjoying freedom and blessing in relationship to him, and it's through his word as a whole that we understand God's standards of what it means to live with him at the center. Jesus summarized it this way about the law in, in Mark chapter 12, and it's in other places in the Gospels, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. There, are, there is no commandment greater than these. Jesus took the entire law and summarize it in these two, to love God supremely and perfectly and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Two rules of the road. So put up the next slide if you uh, think I have a, a sign here. I would love to see this particular sign on Jubilee Way right now. It is, since I've moved here, it's gone from 40 to 30 to 20. Next, I'm going to be crawling on my stomach is how it feels, right? If you've just been driving and you just feel like, I just want to wanna go at my own pace. I just, oh, this person in front of me, would you just speed up? I know there's particular members of the audience who may struggle with that more, more than others. But there are rules to the road, right? We may feel like this is the right way to do it. It would be great for me to go 40 right now. It will get me there quicker, really, you know, whatever. But the rules of the road... In general, even though they're put in by fallen, very fallen individuals, right? But if they're put in there, the intention is really meant to keep everyone safe. It's meant for the, the greatest good, for the greatest number of people, is why people make the decisions they do on the rules of the road. And if we think about those two commands, not like rules, I know I'm trying not to be trite here, But if we think of them as the rules of the road for living life with God at the center like he's meant to live, like he's meant to be, of of us enjoying freedom and blessing, it's with loving God supremely and loving one another as we should. And we never do that, do we? In any given day, we will discover, this is kind of bleeding into the next point, but that wheel's going to (laughs) wobble. Because by that simple standard, all of us have gotten it wrong. We are meant to live with God at the center, and we don't. It's like, uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who was asked, what is wrong with the world? And he concluded, the response was, I am, right? Right? And as we come to this and we think about God's standard of living, how we're meant to live, if you go to the next slide, a lot of us want to like this. What's Burger King? What's what's the ad slogan? Have it what? Ah, yeah, somebody said it. Have it your way. Right? You go into a Burger King and there's the whole menu. It's all a la carte, right? It's there before you. Have it your way. But if you are a bit more posh, you go to a restaurant where it looks like this. Put up the next slide. And there on your plate is the menu because the chef has decided, you ignorant person, you don't know what you want to eat. Let me tell you what you should eat. Now, God doesn't say that to us, but what does it mean? It means in that setting, here is the menu. You take it or leave it. All of it. It's a full menu kind of situation. And when we come to God's standard, it's so important that we impress upon ourselves, if you're listening tonight, but also to anyone we're sharing. A clear and complete communication means when it comes to God's standard of living, we don't get it our own way. We get the full menu. Whatever he says about any area of our lives, it's the full menu. Go to the next set of verses, James chapter 2. Whoever keeps the whole law law, and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker of the whole thing. So why is it important to land this point about God's standards, about how we were meant to live? Because remember, what is the destination why are we, where are we trying to get people to? A clear and complete communication of gospel truth. And he has said, it's about repentance and faith. There is something to believe. Content. Understanding. Who is God? How are we meant to live? Other things we're going to answer. But also, it is something to, someone to receive. Repentance and faith. And the key point here, if I don't have a a statement for this, but this picture I hope captures it, is to impress upon people that we measure ourselves by God's standard of life. That we measure one another, we measure ourselves by God's standard of life and not our own. He's a supreme king. And if he's a supreme king, That includes us. He's the owner and ruler over us. We are accountable to him. And what he says about how life should be meant meant to be lived is what matters most. And again, without this, we have no common ground or context for the gospel. To call somebody to a relationship with Jesus without understanding who God is and how we are meant to live is not helpful. Do you remember we said if we take a a partial truth and share it as the whole truth, we speak an untruth. If we say to people, you just need to have a relationship with Jesus without them understanding who God is and how they're meant to live, then a relationship with Jesus has no meaning and no direction and can actually be, that kind of statement can be unhelpful. So our third thing tonight these are just again things you can think man if I'm having a conversation with people do they understand who God is do they understand how we're meant to live thirdly what have we become what have we become it should be a picture of a guy looking into a mirror there yeah a little marred what have we become I want to read a quote from this book again Stole the title for our series from the book. But um, he says this about who we are as people. So by reminding people who God is, we show them who they are both in terms, and listen to this really carefully, in terms of their significance. In terms, and in terms of the horror of their sinfulness. The human individual is noble a special creation of God built to reflect God's moral characteristics. Now, this is just improv, but I want to say this because it, God drops this on me sometimes. Sometimes when I'm driving, sometimes when I'm walking. But wherever you go <clears throat> this week, look at every individual you see in the most mundane settings, the most average person, below average, above average, and put that grit upon them. The most noble of God's creation, no matter how insignificant or worse you think of them in in your thoughts. Yet the same individual is also horribly ignoble, spoiled by the fall, and the spoiler of all creation. The corruption of what is best will lead to the worst. What have we become? What were we meant to be and what have we become? So if we take those rules of the road, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself and we violate those. We don't live a God-centered life with him at the hub. We become self-centered by definition. No matter what else we put in there to be at the center of that hub, self-centered living. We are the creature essentially who wants to be the creator. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from the life that is in him. That's what we have become. We are hopelessly cut off and enslaved. Mike shared this morning from Jeremiah about cisterns, and I love this. I'm so glad you used this. I wanted to use it again tonight. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. This idea that <clears throat> they have decided it is, it is better to, to take life on their own terms and exchanging God at the center of all things for something less. And you can almost hear Paul thinking these words when in Romans chapter 1 he says this. He writes this in Romans chapter 1 about the the downward cycle of sin in in humanity. And he says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. In fact, if you were to read Romans one, I won't do this tonight for the sake of time, but I encourage you to do it. You'll be surprised. What does he point out? God's nature, his power, his divine nature, a recognition that we owe him worship and thanks. We're accountable to him, but we don't. In fact, we exchange the truth of life lived with God at the center for a lie, put something else in there. And no matter what it is, it always boils down to us because we're making the choice. It's meism, not deism. We put ourselves there. No matter what else, what other the idol is. And it's enslaving. And it's degenerative. It just, it's life cut off from the life of God. And it shows up in our lives and all of society. And how important it is that we lovingly impress upon people this truth. What have we become? What are we meant to be? And when we look at people and we see, and I can think of friends that I know that would not embrace the truth of the gospel, and I see some great people with some great qualities, and I don't have to reject those things because they're made in the image of God. They're a reflection of His goodness, and for us to acknowledge that in their lives is a really important thing, but also to lovingly point out God's perspective and God's position That we are hopelessly cut off by that kind of life and we're enslaved. How can you say that we're enslaved? I can take you to scriptures that say we are, but I can also take you to experience. Tomorrow, keep a log. How well did you do at loving God supremely and loving your neighbor as yourself? Odds are, by breakfast time, I will have failed that. Maybe you too. Maybe you'll do better and get to lunch, but I know all of us will have failed that. What did James tell us? If we fail at one point, what have we done? We fail it at all. We're accountable before him. So what is the desired outcome here? Remember, we're trying to clearly and completely communicate gospel truth, to have a shared point of understanding so that people can be in a position not just have something to believe, but someone to receive. And the desired outcome here is conviction. Conviction. Gospel means good news. Before you get to the good news, what do you got to have? The bad news. The hard picture. Conviction of self-centered living. Because really, the glory of the gospel and of grace cannot fully shine until we lovingly impress this upon people. So this is from J.I. Packer. Some of you may know who J.I. Packer is. uh, British uh, Christian leader, speaker of another generation. But this is what he talked about in his book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Conviction of sin, conviction of self-centered living. What does it look like So if you're having a conversation with somebody, you have friendship with somebody, remember what are we saying? Over time, over relationship, over journey, communication of complete clear gospel truth so that people can respond as you see things happening. What does he say you really want to see happening to know if that point of conviction is happening? An awareness of a broken relationship with God. Not just that life's not working. Life not working can be what? An entry point into... Who is God? How are we meant to live? Right? Jesus is not the solution, though he is, to life not working. He's the solution to much more than that. Life works when he has the position he's supposed to, but he is much more than a solution to our earthly problem. He is the supreme king before whom we are to bow in repentant faith. And then life works. He's so much more. Awareness of a broken relationship with God. Acknowledgement of guilt for particular sins. <clears throat> In the past, we've talked about our separation from God. And I'm just kind of using some, some, some shared content for those of us who are here for this. And understanding we cannot produce anything within ourselves, nor can I do it for you, that you would desire the things of God. Last week, Yannick talk about, talk, uh, spoke about the new birth and how really we, we need the new birth to even see the kingdom of God. At any point, we have people starting to acknowledge and see conviction and guilt for particular sins, one, and for a sense of hopelessness and need for a new life from God. This is, yeah, I've done particular things that are wrong and that sense of guilt. Why is that important? God is supreme. God has a standard of life. I've not lived up to it, and I have an inner sense of turmoil that is coming from Him. And a sense of hopelessness and need for new life from God. When you understand, I am cut off and enslaved to this, I cannot free myself. If this is how life was meant to be lived, I'm doomed. Because I will never be able to do it. And I'm lost. That's a great place to get to with people. Why? Jesus. It's Jesus. And this is why Jesus matters so much in the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about next. If this is the problem, if these are basic truths, who is God? You know, uh, how are we meant to live? What have we become? The, the answer to that is we're in a bad spot. But we're going to sing a song in just a moment. And I want to read the words to these song, this song. And, and with it, I'll close and we'll pray. First, of the, first three of the five points. But when we see this picture, when we put Jesus on, before people. That's where the beauty is. Listen to these words. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers flowed incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. He's the supreme king. He has a standard. That's what we need to communicate and help people understand. then also to see what they've become. And as we paint this picture to then hold up the cross, hold up Jesus, hold up grace as we communicate a clear and complete picture and communication of gospel truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this conversation tonight and, uh, We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the words we're about to sing. And even though there's some hard truths that run counter to many things in our society and in our culture, Lord, um, we know these are hard things that need to be shared, need to be lived out. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes We thank you, Lord, for those of us who have come to know Jesus in a transforming way, that you've led us to someone that's not only something to believe, but someone to receive, to find life and freedom and enjoy that in a relationship with you, forgiveness and hope. Lord, may we not only celebrate that for ourselves, but would you equip us to hold out that hope to others, to have good conversations that are helpful in just being a faithful witness to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.